Hello and welcome for another episode of Fikava Vetchet. Today we are traveling to Norway. The person I would like to have a chat with today, I first met in a jail in Helsinki. Yet she is probably one of the most influential women in veterinary politics in Europe. She is a vice president of the FVE, the Federation of Veterinarians in Europe. She is the president of the Norwegian Veterinary Association. She used to run two veterinary clinics in Oslo. And beside of that, she's a very well-known TV personality in Norway. And she is a very keen sports and outdoor woman. So you might wonder, <laughs> How does she do all this? And even more so, she's obviously, because of all this, a very busy person. So I'm really, really, really happy that she has time for this web chat. So hello and welcome to Turil Musang. Hi, Turil. Hello, and thank you for a fantastic introduction. You know, <laughs> that's very, think, very happy to be here with you. Yeah, I, I think we have to, we have to clear that up with it with a jail right away. Unfortunately, we didn't share a cell, but still that with a, with a jail is, is right because there is a, a hotel in Helsinki that is, uh, uh, that is based in a former jail. And I think we met uh, over dinner at uh, that hotel, but then it is sort of set up in a, in a little bit in a, with a jail theme and we were sitting on a very sort of rough wooden table and water we were drinking out of metal mugs, I think. So <laughs> it was quite an interesting setting, wasn't it? It was, I and mean, it was a great atmosphere. And it uh, kind of, you know, uh, it's the moment you never forget, you know, sitting in a jail and, and have the atmosphere around and, uh, and still you're a free person, but you can imagine how it was there in, you know, in some way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. So the um, um, uh, that is is already sort of quite a few years ago. And if we go a little bit further back, I mean, veterinary medicine. How how was your personal journey into veterinary medicine? Was it always something you wanted to do, or how did that come about with you? Um, you know, um, my mom told me that when I was a little girl, I had a sign outside my door in my room who says, uh, I am a veterinarian, but no animals are getting killed here. <laughs> so uh, so that uh, I, I think I had that wish from I was a little girl but um, then I kind of um, moved a little bit away when I went to junior um, uh, high school and senior high school and I went to United States for a few years. Uh, worked on a ranch and did different things um, and when I came back um, I actually met my uh, uh, my husband and uh, and got um, uh, my little son and then I thought okay Terrell now it's time to get serious <laughs> and I've always been a, um, a person that had dogs and horses I've been a riding instructor worked with horses in in, in United States and then I thought okay now it's time to be a vet and then I decided to go into vet school. So I was a little uh, older uh, than the people that came right from, from senior high school. But I think that also made me um, 
more secure of how I choose uh, into, into the veterinary business. So that is the short story. The, the horse uh, girl with a little bit um, United States and uh, other things in, and then I went into the veterinary school. Very glad to did it. Yeah. I love the yeah. profession. No, I mean, I found the same thing. I mean, with me, it was pretty much straight from school and, and military service. If I went to vet school right away, to my great surprise, I, I got a place at vet school. So going by my grades at school, that that wasn't, wasn't uh, uh, certain that I would get a place. Uh, but uh, I often found that the fellow students that I had that had done a different something different before they started studying veterinary medicine they were often more organized more focused actually sort of say they had a clearer view what they actually wanted to do also later in life so maybe not such a bad thing to do something else first before you venture into veterinary medicine no, absolutely. I, I think that's a, that's a good skill. And for other people, it's better to go straight into it. But I also was an exchange student in Ghent, Belgium. And that also learned me a lot. So I'm really happy that I choose that also. So uh, other than that, I was in veterinary school in Oslo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the, and then uh, why small animals? Why not horses? Oh, that's a good question because, of course, uh, when I went into the school, I was sure I was going to work with horses because I've been doing that all my life and was a, a rider, you know, I was riding show jumping. Um, but uh, during the study, I was um, uh, working, uh, you know, part time in weekends and, and nights at uh, Norway's at that time largest animal hospital. And then the just ball started to, to, to roll, you know, and then I got a job there right after I was finished. And uh, we're looking a little bit into horses, but then I got this, um, this uh, position there and then it was small animals. And I never uh, looked back actually. I, I love horses and all the other animals still, but I think that was an interesting career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but then, so, okay, you work with small animals, then you, you open one clinic and you open the second clinic. And, as if this is not sort of enough, you also go into veterinary politics in uh, uh, in Norway. Sort of, uh, how did this come about? Uh, did did the clinical work not fill you out sufficiently, or 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 have you always been very active on a also on a political sort of level? No, actually, I haven't. Uh, but I've always been very interesting in the society and people. Um, so, uh, no, I had more than enough uh, to do in the clinic uh, after mm. I started, my, especially when I started my own clinics, uh, which was just, you know, um, a few years after I finished. And I also at that time, the same year I finished, I also went into the TV uh, um, uh, session. So I had mm. a lot to do. Uh, mm. It uh, it was not like that, but it was uh, a coincidence, as it always you know sometimes the the life the life is not going the direction you think it is, even if you plan it. So uh, it was a telephone call asked if I could uh, think about being the leader of the small animal uh, veterinary practitioner, and I didn't have any experience. And after been thinking about and talking to my family, I thought, hmm, seems interesting. I will try, and I just jumped into it. And since then, this was in two thousand and three. 
since then, I had, uh, you know, a lot of different positions uh, till I ended up as a Norwegian veterinary president in the Norwegian Veterinary Association. And it's so nice work, Wolfgang, you know that. And, and uh, you meet so many people and you really can make a difference on, well, on I, a big level, you know? Yeah, although I, I think what, what helps is your enthusiasm for, for all things veterinary. I mean, because you're going full circle there again, sort of narrowing it down from all species to small animals. But now as a president of the Norwegian Veterinary Association, you have to cover the whole spectrum again. And I mean, if we talk Norway, I mean, there's still a country with uh, um, a lot of sort of a, a large part of the society has a farming background. And then obviously there's also a lot of uh, uh, salmon production uh, uh, in Norway as well, which is, I mean, <laughs> far removed, far removed from companion animal veterinary medicine with completely different aims and sort of also the finance behind it, the impact also on the national income is obviously completely, well, the, the different one. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just very impressed because I mean, I'm happy with my little knowledge I have on companion animals, but, but I mean, you, you, you're covering all species. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, I am. But you know, as you know, when you're working in small animals, uh, maybe 100 years ago, you could know everything in veterinary business, or you couldn't mm. even then. But you know, it's developing so fast. So when you are in small animal practice, you also have special specialities, you know, and some of us uh, in small animal practice also have kind of the big pictures. And, uh, you know, so, so and it is the same about the politician, political uh, politi work I do now, because when I'm going to talk about uh, salmon, or if I'm go going to talk about uh, One Health or other things I'm not, uh, you know, doing on a regular basis, then I have to ha get the overall pictures. And, uh, and if I, there is something I wonder about, which I'm going to talk to the, polit the politicians or it's in the media or whatever, then I have good people around me who can give me the details and then I can in a good way front it. So I think uh, people that are working in a broad specter of themes, we need to have the big pictures. And then you have this great specialist. I think that's, uh, that's the clue to know a little bit about everything, to see the big lines. Uh, yeah. That's how I work now compared to when I'm usually went into the surgery and were operating all day, which I really, really loved as well working in a team there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you not? I mean, you, 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 you sold your clinics, but are you not missing the clinical work now? Oh, I don't know if you have the same expression in uh, uh, in English, but there is an expression to say when you go into the sawdust as a horse, then you know you kind of know the circus or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really, really miss it when I visit my great colleagues and and get the feeling how nice it is there how nice it is to help the people and the animals and the teamwork and everything like that then i really miss it but of course i also had that uh, you know made a choice uh, to go in another direction and then i had to stick with that choice but of course in my heart a small animal practice has a very special place but you can't do it all you know <laughs> no that's i mean that's 
that's that's true. I mean, in my case, sort of, it's it's a little bit the other way around. So I I sold my clinic and and now I'm just saying, well, let's have a look. Sort of, I I worked for over twenty years with with one team, which was really a great team. But now I'm I I enjoy working with different teams and throwing myself sort of in different clinical environments and also this is partially because of COVID that I'm sort of rather than traveling to 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 places on holidays I go there and work with the mm -hmm. people so I'm working I worked in different areas in the UK for example so I have a purpose to travel and I met just so many interesting colleagues and and working with different teams and obviously you well you have to adjust but uh still i mean i'm 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 over now nearly yeah 30 years now in the profession and i'm still i'm learning so much <laughs> i i thought yeah clinically fine i i i know this or that or that and there's all the time something new or i have to claw back on knowledge I had sort of 20 years ago or so and then to 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 adjust to whatever is the current standard in the individual clinic or so so I I find that sort of quite interesting oh, what a way to go that is really yeah. great and I absolutely agree with you that you can learn something new every day and I think especially from the young colleagues and also from students, they are asking so many good questions. You know, when you're standing there and operating for many years, as you also, you know, did, and, and they ask you a question and they and then you think, hmm, I'm always done it like that. What what is this question? But then you realize you have to answer it if you should go on doing it and mm -hmm. answer it right. So there yeah. there is so much knowledge from the new colleagues, I think, and I'm really, really impressed uh, from the students and the new colleagues that are coming out. It definitely goes both ways, and I mean, I I find you, as long as you remain open and, and you you admit to yourself that no, sorry, you don't know it all. There's still so much to learn. So then then it 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 stays very enjoyable. At least at least for me, it does. Although I'm so many years now in 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 clinical practice, I still enjoy doing the work I'm doing and I cannot see that that is going to cease very much to the despair of my wife who thinks sort of yeah okay when when are you planning to retire so and I have to say well when I'm 80 when I'm 85 <laughs> I, I don't know I mean I don't have to work sort of to, uh, I don't know 25 uh, uh, 24 hours a day uh, uh, and that around the year but to do some sort of clinical work I can well imagined to to do for many many years mm -hmm. yeah and i think this is a you are a typical uh, veterinarian because uh, we always have this engagement for our work you know we really love what we do and when we do that then we're also open for new things and keeping you know our mind in a developing a developing movement you know so i think that is uh, something i really like about uh, veterinarian work no matter which section you're working in because you always learn something new and you get uh, you know a lot of people and situation that really you know gives you a lot back as a person mm, yeah yeah so just back to your personal journey so there you are then president of the uh, Norwegian Veterinary Association but that's 
that's not enough for you. So then it has to be Europe. And I mean, especially we should not forget, I mean, Norway is not a member of the European Union. So it's not necessarily very typical to be so involved with European politics. Yet sort of, you not only represent Norway at uh, the uh, UEBP and then now the FVE, it's also so that you uh, you become a board member and you are currently the, the vice president of, uh, of FVE. So if, uh, um, how did that sort of develop? And yeah, I don't know, sort of uh, uh, how, how do you manage that at the moment? Well, you know, uh, actually now I just got re-elected for a new two years period and I'm very happy about it because, um, you know, it's so um, important to work together because we know now, and especially maybe from the pandemic situation that everything is, uh, you know, working together, you know, so, so to really um, see that it, uh, the, the whole international society needs to do something together, you know, that, that makes even this work in FVE, which also work uh, with the World Veterinary Association and American and the Canadian Association, that to see we can work together, you know, so that is really important. And for Norway, which is not a part of the European uh, uh, Parliament or, or community, um, in the, in the, in the EU as you guys are, then I think it's well. We're, yeah, uh, the Germans, oh, yes, but the British part of me, no, we're not <laughs> no longer. You're German, and okay, so Brexit, yeah, yeah, Germany, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, um, uh, so we are kind of in the same boat. Then what I see is that the laws that are in the UA have to also be implemented in Norway because of a lot of deals we have, you know, with the EU community. And then I think it's so important that we actually have an, a direct, uh, you know, a possibility to work in the EU because we know we have to, to do as EU say in, in a certain way um, to a certain point anyway. And then it's so much better to have something to say in there than not. And, in, and, and that's why I think it's even more important that Norway is really obliged to the work in FVE. So we can also hear our voice into the veterinarian business and into the EU and all the hearings. So I think, uh, I think uh, to see the whole picture and to see that everyone is dependent on everyone, animals, you know, uh, people, nations, uh, everything, we are dependent in one health and to have to eat safe food and all these things. So I think it's so great to see that when we work together, even if there is a lot of different opinion and, and all uh, that's, that's the challenge, you know, to get consensus. But even then, I think we can make a lot of things when we stand together. So that's very important for Norway as well. You were talking about sort of one health. Um, uh, one um, issue that is now will affect sort of, I think, uh, the veterinary profession, uh, but obviously also the consumers, the new veterinary medicines uh, legislation, which is currently going through the, the national parliaments as well. Uh, if we look at it sort of from a companion animal practitioner side, do, do you think will that have a, a, a huge impact on us on a sort of on a practical day to day level? Um, I mean, I, I, I see there's a I think there's a 
considerable difference between sort of food producing animals and uh, companion animals. Um, so if we look at it from, I mean, that is what Fikava is about, so the companion animal practitioner side, do you think are there big changes ahead of us? Is that something that we should be aware of now in the years to come? Well, I think you're right that there is some um, uh, marking um, clear differences between food producing animals and, and, uh, and um, companion animals. But still, we see that there is a lot, for example, of medication uh, in, in the veterinary business. Uh, and that is a, a challenge, I think. And then we also see that the laws are now trying to re restrict our possibility to, for example, for example, use human medicine that we have done for years and you know have a cultural thing and, and scientific kind of thing to, to use. So there are, of course, also um, that people are stricter with antibiotic use and, and, um, and uh, parasitic use uh, for resistance and everything like that. So I think we need to be aware of it. And of course, it will have some impact um, on small animal practice as well in the end, I think. But right now, I think there's very much focus on food producing animals and especially because we're using so much for example antibiotics into one practice when when you have one incidence you know then you may uh, use uh, um, much more antibiotics but still the connection between the companion animals and the owners are so close so i think we will uh, kind of um get stricter uh, prescriptions rights uh, and selling rights uh, in all the Western world uh, to have a sustainability to our practice. For sustainability for using the medical medication is very important. And it's not, we are not talking about stopping used antibiotics. We are, we are talking about use the antibiotic rights. And sometimes then, we need maybe some restriction to get in the in the right direction. Something that that I'm in sort of in two minds about is uh, the right to dispense. Um, uh, uh, as you, I mean, as as most of our viewers sort of might be aware of in the Scandinavian countries, or uh, it's so that uh, our veterinarians are usually not dispensing medication, whereas this is a big big part of the veterinary income in countries like the UK or, or Germany and in most other European countries. And the big debate, ongoing debate, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, looking at it from a personal level, what I saw is on one hand, I mean, working in Scandinavia, I get the impression that something like the use of antimicrobials, if you are not benefit from it commercially, will be reduced if you don't have the right to dispense, but if you only have to write a prescription. On the other hand, I also saw when working in, uh, in Sweden that um, often the local pharmacies that were supposed to stock medication very often didn't stock them. And I had had at numerous times sort of difficulties getting trivial drugs, something like meloxicam, a typical sort of painkiller, um, uh, is through one of the local pharmacies, uh, whereas uh, where I, as a practitioner, if I would have my own pharmacy, I would make 
dead sure that I have these drugs on the shelf. And I thought, mm, maybe sort of pet owners in, in Scandinavia have sometimes a raw deal because of the, the lack of the right of uh, uh, um, uh, veterinarians in Scandinavian countries not to dispense. They are not in charge of what is on the shelves. So it's a swings and roundabout thing, so for advantages and disadvantages. Mm -hmm. There is, you're right. And of course, when you're not allowed to sell any uh, medication at all as a vet in Norway, no matter what kind of uh, practice you're doing, then you are dependent on, on the pharmacies. And uh, usually it works out well because they are getting uh, the medication quite uh, fast. And we have a lot of them so they can ship it, you know, in between each other and stuff like that. But there have been some incidents, as you described in Sweden, that uh, uh, it has been a delay who has been too long. And it also then has been very challenging to kind of keeping up the animal welfare for our patients. And that is not a situation that is good. And we have need to, to work on that. But usually um, we we do get um, because uh, do get the medication because this has been like this for you know forever and that's why um, you can say that um, when you're working together with a pharmacy as a vet they know that they need this and that and then they have that in the pharmacy like you would have in your practice so mm. usually it's it's quite a good deal. And if they don't have it, then they can get it to the owner in, in a few you know, hours or, or days. But um, I think we are lucky in Norway because um, we have um, done this in a little different because we cannot earn any money on, on medication. Then I think we have a good thinking about what is my hour worth? Because if I go, I have, I have um, a companion, a dog in, in my clinic, then I know that what I'm going to be paid for that hour, that's what I, you know, uh, are charging for my hour. And that's the yeah. Paid for your skills, actually, paid rather than... My skills, even if you are doing a prescription or not. And I think that's a, it's a good culture because it makes you more aware of these things. And of course, I think also it's easier for me to say, no, I don't think you need that antibiotic when it's not part of my wedge. You know, it's it's human to think that I, I I think. Then again, I never worked in a, a clinic where it is like you described in Britain. So I I am really humbled that it's it's different opinion. But I think it's an easy system to to cope with in in Norway as long as you get the drugs that you have. Uh, another really pan-European issue, I would say, is because of the, the ongoing pandemic, the increased ownership of uh, puppies and, 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 and kittens. I mean, whoever you speak to in whatever country, we, we all have seen a huge increase in puppy and uh, ownership. Uh, how, how, how does FVE look at this? Uh, um, and, and also what are the sort of the if we look a few years ahead, are there any concerns or do you think that we as the veterinary profession are benefiting from this? Uh, I don't know. Is there, is there a take? What, what is the take on that? 
Yes, it's uh, it's absolutely been uh, been discussed because this is uh, what we can the feedbacks we get is that this is happening all over the Western world, you know, and uh, everyone wants a puppy uh, during the pandemic, and it is challenging uh, things about it. One thing is that uh, uh, the small animal practitioners, uh, as the feedback we get in whole Europe and also in United States and Canada, are getting a lot more to do. Of course, because they get more puppies, but also because people are spending more time with their animals so they can see actually when they're not okay. Uh, and that, that is, of course, good for business. But a huge concern is um, how this is pressing up the smuggling business from uh, countries which are not following the EU rules, for example, and also are doing um, breeding in a very bad way and uh, for example the the, the bitches have uh, so awful animal welfare and that it's horrible so uh, you have these criminal people uh, that are really to you know taking advantage of people's feelings and then of course um, fve has been on this uh, for a long time uh, this has also um, a lot to do with one health you know, and diseases and everything like that. And for me, I also been to Sweden actually to talk about this problem in their uh, government. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a serious business with everything because there is so much more to it than just getting a puppy because the market, when it goes like this, there's a lot of unserious people doing things they shouldn't do for money and then don't care about animal welfare. So my advice is always, and I'm talking about this all the time in media, when you want a puppy, don't go and visit uh, puppies because then you will get home with a puppy, even if you're a yeah. vet, because you fall in love and you, you know, make the decision on your feelings. So we as vets should advise people, think if you should have a puppy, do I have time? Do I have money? Do I have knowledge? All those things, what kind of type of puppy should I have? And kind of strengthen the real rational decision. Uh, so we will get nice, uh, wealthy, healthy puppies and not um, uh, 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 contribute to a business which is very bad for human health and especially also for the animals involved. So that was the long answer, but this is really a thing yeah. going on in the pandemic. It's it's definitely a very, very complex sort of issue. And as you said, I mean, that what I followed, I mean, I... Uh, Sometimes I, I work also sometimes when I'm not working clinically, I sort of uh, work, uh, do some telemedicine and uh, when uh, asking uh, new pet owners where the puppies come from, I mean, this is in Germany now, I would say probably a third of the new puppies come from Eastern Europe. Yeah. And so it's a huge, it's a huge number. And again, there's also a, a huge number of these puppies um, enter Germany without all the necessary documentation. And so it, it's, 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 it's a, and, and these are the sensible, the sensible uh, uh, pet owners that uh, get their, their dogs uh, insured or uh, uh, who uh, seek veterinary advice. So there's uh, um, a big, big gray zone of people who in fact sort of are not consulting vets who just get these puppies and then don't necessarily look even well after the dogs. So yeah, huge, huge, I think something that will keep us yeah, busy and concerned over for many years to come, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, uh, talking about sort of uh, uh, COVID and the impact uh, uh, it has had, how has that been sort of with the veterinary profession, our colleagues in Norway has uh, uh, obviously huge impact to start with and lots of extra work everywhere sort of, uh, how, how, how did the colleagues in Norway cope with all this and how's the situation at the moment now? Well, I think uh, as uh, for every uh, veterinarian in the whole world and all people, it was a shock for everyone that it started and it lasted, you know, and especially the, the challenging thing was um, uh, what do we do now? Because veterinarians are always looking for solutions and the solutions they had often was, uh, you know, crossing, for example, communities which they couldn't. Um, Norway is, a, you know, a long country. And then we had all these restrictions that if you were driving, for example, um, uh, food and malpractice, then you had to cross these borders and, you know, we're not allowed to it, but you had to go to that acute, uh, you know, um, birth of, on a cow or whatever. So there's a lot of confusion uh, about how to deal with this. Should a companion animal, animal clinics uh, close? Uh, in the beginning, all these kinds of questions and how was the restrictions, how were the recommendations? And then I was so happy after a few months when we kind of got a little bit, you know, over the over the hill, uh, then I was so very glad and happy for the international work because then we saw uh, that uh, actually uh, FECAVA had some recommendations, you know, FVE were working on it, and then we worked together and had scientific-based recommendation for clinic owners, for the, for the owner that came in, where should they be, all those things, that really, really helped. And that's a very good example for how good it is to work together. So when that came on, after a few months, then our colleagues were uh, a lot more calmer because we know you know how to prevent diseases and everything like that so and but it was a really really hard work up to the com to the um, to the government and to all the decision makers to see how veterinarians had to work and also that they were uh, the personnel uh, in Norway that was what do you say I can't uh, remember the English word but was uh, the society um, essential you know uh, mm -hmm. So these, these professionals uh, had really a different kind of restrictions than other ones. Sadly mm -hmm. enough, companion animals did not get it, but all the other practitioners got it. And we were we are still working for the companion animals as well, because, yeah, there's a long story, but of course they should be as well. All animals should get your help when they need it in, in a crisis. Um, so in the beginning, it was like chaos, and I think it was that all over the world. Uh, after a while, it um, settled down, and veterinarians are really good to, to work in new uh, conditions, you know. And I'm very, very glad to say that mostly in the profession in Norway has coped with this very well, and there is no, no one that um, wants uh, to work that doesn't have a work. Uh, so, so now I think it's quite a um, controlled situation. And I'm very, very proud of how the veterinarian profession and all the vets has handled this situation because it's, it's been a lot of extra work. And, um, but, but now I think we are kind of stable and that it works out well. Talking about lots of extra work. I mean, uh, 
I know that there is real lack of uh, uh, veterinarians in neighboring Sweden. Uh, how's the situation in Norway? I mean, Norway is, is uh, it's obviously, from, if you look at the population, so if it's not, not, not a big country, you have one vet school with a fairly sort of a limited output un, uh, uh, of veterinarians. Uh, do you experience similar issues in Norway as well, that you're struggling finding enough vets to do the work? Absolutely. We uh, are struggling, of course, in the districts because it's so huge, you know, uh, area. Uh, so there is a uh, we're struggling really to get enough veterinarians all over the country. And there is a law in Norway that there uh, that um, the government has the responsibility in the uh, communities that there has to be a vet on duty call 24-7, 365 days a year in all the communities and that's uh, 360 uh, communities uh, around Norway and now we have a challenge to 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 get enough uh, veterinarians there but it's not just the practitioners it's vets in all in one health you know in in fish industry uh, in in all um, uh, food and safety apartment for example where 400 veterinarians are working in Norway so there is a lack of veterinarians, not just in rural areas, but in the whole profession. So we need more veterinarians and we have been working in the politics to get 20 more um, uh, students um, into the veterinary school now. But of course, that takes time before they get out and it's too little. Half of all the veterinarians uh, from uh, students in Norway are uh, actually um, studying abroad and still you know, we can't uh, cover it like the rest of Europe. It's a lack of veterinarians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my own alma mater, Hanover, always had veterinary, uh, Norwegian veterinary students. They were very, very popular, partially because of a great Norwegian Christmas party they held every year where they invited all the, the, the lecturers. So and then when they had to choose, okay, from which country shall we take more foreign students, Norway was always on the top, so, so we always like to have... You know, Wolfgang, that is there something we Norwegian can do, that it's the party. party. <laughs> oh yes, oh yeah, yeah, that was definitely around Christmas, that was the hottest ticket in town, definitely. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> one, one other question about uh, Norway and the veterinary profession, something we have seen sort of emerging very, very fast during the pandemic is telemedicine. Um, once again, the, the Scandinavian or the Nordic country, I would say, um, uh, have been on the forefront of this development, um, uh, considering sort of again, sort of how sparsely populated Norway also is and how long the distances are from pet owners to their next local vet. I mean, this is obviously a system that has lent itself, I think, to, uh, to, the, uh, to the profession. Um, uh, 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 what's the take in Norway on telemedicine? Something there to stay? Something that will be further extended? I, I don't know. How is, how is that? You know, uh, as in every country, it's been a huge discussion about telemedicine and especially that this will take over our profession. But the message is very important to get out. It's it's not taking over. It's it's um, in addition to to what you do in practice, because if you really think about it, 
uh, we always been doing telemedicine. Sometimes a client are calling, you know, and gets advice and, and uh, you know, so, so we have always been talking to our clients on a distance. But what we uh, think uh, is that this will, if you're doing telemedicine and digital, uh, you know, uh, consultations, then it has to be, uh, be on a scientific base um, when you're doing it. And the important thing, I think, and the Norwegian Veterinary Association and also FVE, which just had a policy paper um, uh, adopted, is that the vet, because this will come, this is the future. And then we have to be in front of the legislation, in front of how we think it's okay to use telemedicine not sit on the office and treat all animals everywhere and make diagnosis when you don't even have seen the animal. So you have to have restrictions and control how we use the telemedicine. And I think if we do it in the right way, it's a huge thing that can make us better veterinarians and do our work better. But if it's used wrong, it's like all the technique um, um, instruments you use. If it's used wrong, it's really bad. But to be ahead and be the people that are getting the lines how to use it, I think that is the answer. And that's how we are working in Norway at the time, to get in the lead and to see and, and, uh, and make the restrictions and how, how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but to, we, can't, we can't have this sort of chat without also talking about sports and the outdoor life. As a, as a true Norwegian, obviously, you are a very keen cross-country skier. I mean, whoever, sort of everybody who follows you, usually, if you are not sitting, I don't know, advising the Norwegian government or, or, or doing your television programs or um, are in, in other conferences or so, it's usually so that you are on the move doing something you're running you're playing tennis you you're skiing i know that you're very keen water sports personality so how important is sort of physical activities in your life and what 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 do you think sort of is that something that that maybe we as a professional as a veterinarian should maybe take more on board well, I can only speak for myself about that, uh, but um, I know exactly what I mean, because I, I know my mental health, which is a huge um, um, theme in, in veterinary profession, is, you can't say 100%, but almost 100% better when I'm active. So when I'm physically active, uh, my brain is working better and I'm feeling so much uh, better when I'm, if, if I'm not doing it, because you, you're right, I'm very busy, but everything you put into priority that is important for you, you will make the time. And I think uh, when I'm active, it's different kind of activities. For example, when I'm playing tennis or when I'm climbing, then I have to be so focused. So I can't think about anything about uh, work because then I will fall down for where I'm climbing or I won't hit the ball. When I'm jogging, uh, like we have done a lot of times, or skiing, then my brain can can go because this is things that you know you can you can have um, your brain kind of uh, going wherever it wants. So it's different uh, things, and also when I'm up in the mountains, I think it's so important for me uh, to get um, a break and a reaction. 
And I also think that, uh, of course, Norway has a very long tradition to be outdoor. If you're not outdoor and are a Norwegian, people think, oh, what are you? Are you crazy? Are you a foreigner? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think it's really nice, and we also are so lucky here that we have great nature that we can. Even I'm living in Oslo, in 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 the capital. It's from where I live. It's just a few minutes, and then you are in the forest, so or the sea. So uh, no, I'm I'm really lucky, and it means a lot to me. And I know also that you love the Norwegian oh. um, way to be outside. Yeah, oh, I definitely do, definitely do, and definitely missing it. So, I mean, to to sum you up, just just to have that again. So, I mean, you 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 are a, a great professional. You are active in politics. You are interested and quite active in sports. Um, uh, you are uh, um, uh, uh, a successful businesswoman. So. Actually, if, if we all put it a little bit together, you're a little bit of a female freak of nonsense, aren't you? <laughs> I, I, I think so, because I mean, he, he in, my, in my opinion, is a little bit somebody who just moved from one field to the next, to the next. I mean, is it, that, that strikes me a little bit as sort of, yeah, essential Norwegian, actually, because it's not only just one area that is covered, sort of, but another and another and another. And I, there's a, somehow I can, I can do these things, sort of, it's just, as I said, I've, I'm personally in awe of this uh, ability. And there are not a lot of people who can, I think, who, 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 can, who can match that or, I don't know. Do you see that differently? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I have to say often that no one uh, have called me a female fit of nonsense ever before. But I, I, that, that's really an honor. Uh, but I bet he was a lot tougher than me uh, in a lot of ways. But but I think um, uh, if uh, what you do gives you energy, and if you really love what you do, then it's so much. Um, uh, you know, pleasured with doing it, and you get so much energy and 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 feel so good uh, when you can do things you really love to do, and and I think that's what drives me on in my in my work, and of course um, you had a very very nice um, uh, introduction, and also now you said a lot of nice things, but of course there is not always you win. There's a lot of cases you lose, and there's a lot of disappointments when you're in practice, when you're in politics, when you're in sports as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you have to oh, remember, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, our heroes also in sports are getting a lot of, you know, downs. Uh, and that makes you a human, because I think uh, I, I like to be uh, a person that people can see that it's possible to do things, because it's possible for everyone to do the things I am doing. But still, it's also important, I think, to be open that sometimes it's really hard and it breaks your heart and you're really... Ugh. But then I think it's, it's the same thing as if you go on a mountain tour and the weather is really horrible. So sort of while you're doing the mountain tour, you think, oh, God, why am I out of here? Why am I out here? I'm soaked, it's wet, the wind or the snow is sort of... Uh, uh, getting into my face and, and it's cold and if I if I stop I will die and all these things however when you arrive at the hut and you sit down and you have a warm drink and you're warmed up again you're sitting with friends you forget all this I know 
really counts are sort of the nice moments. And then if you think about it, sort of, I don't know, a month or a year later, you think, oh, that was a great trip. That was fantastic. <laughs> I don't and know. That's what keeps you going. Exactly. So, you said that. And that goes for the sport, for the mountains, and it goes also for, for work. And it's all about the people. I learned that from Renz, our president in FVE. And yeah. You know, it's all about the people. I think I will have that in my mind. And we can also say it's all about the animals. But, you know, working together, uh, you know, like we do uh, in a mm. profession and feeling that we are a family uh, and meeting, meeting so many fantastic people that gives you a lot of energy. So, to, to finish this off, cross-country skiing, will we get a chance to, to go cross-country skiing together in Norway this winter? What do you think? Absolutely. I will, take you, I will take you up to Shushan, where, which is the best place, sorry to say it, in the world. You yeah. can go for weeks and never go in the same track. Uh, we have to go up there and we have to do it, even if it's the weather is bad, as you say, because we will remember it and feel good afterwards. You are very you. welcome to come. I hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you very much for this episode or for, for, for talking to me, Turul. Sorry, it was a very long talk, but it's just it's just so interesting talking to you. So um, to our viewers and listeners, um, if you like to comment on this episode uh, of Fikava Vet Chat, or if you have suggestions for future episodes, then please email us on vetchat at fikava.org. Uh, you can also leave messages on our social media outlet. Um, once again, thank you very much to Ramusang for joining me for this episode of Fikava Vet Chat. And I hope I see uh, everybody of you uh, next week for another episode of Fikava Vet Chat. Take care.